Well, this morning we're talking about connecting to God and to one another, what it means to be the church. And so I invite you to stand for reading of God's word as Carrie reads from John chapter 20, or chapter 17, excuse me. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word and that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them and that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me and that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Thanks be to God. What is the church? It's a simple question. What is the church? But the truth is sometimes the answer to that question is complicated. Not because the church is complicated, but because we tend to complicate the church. You see, I used to not appreciate the church. I didn't even like church. I grew up going to church every single Sunday But I thought the church was just this rigid institution filled with stuffy, hypocritical people. And so even when I became a Christian late in high school, do you know what? Even though I was a Christian, I still didn't like the church. In fact, when God called to me to ministry, I still did not love the church. And you say, well, how could that be? How could someone called to ministry not love the church? Well, in my arrogant mind, I felt called the church to the church to ministry because I wanted to change the church. I wanted to make it better. The truth is, I wanted to make the church more like me. And that's the honest truth. That's why I got into ministry. But just before I took my first role in pastoral ministry, before PCPC, 15 years ago, I spent a month in the jungle of sub-Saharan Africa, away from the church, with a bunch of people who didn't even know Jesus, and there in that jungle, God revealed the church to me. Studying the scriptures, I began to realize that I had the church all wrong that didn't really see the church the way that Jesus sees the church. And there in that jungle that summer 15 years ago, I began to see that the church is this beautiful mess of people who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So my question for you this morning is how do you see the church? 
Some people see the church as just a building. Some people see the church as a human institution, like a business or a service organization. Some people see the church as a commodity, like a shopping mall. And they come to the church just to consume and to take. Some people see the church like a restaurant. They're looking for a menu of things that they can just pick and choose the parts that they like. Some people see the church as cold and distant, stuffy and archaic. How do you see the church? You see, the truth is the church is none of those things. The church is so much more. The church is a countercultural community of people who are connected to one another because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And just before Jesus went to the cross to shed his blood for you and me, he prayed a prayer. And in that prayer, he prayed that the church would be so connected to one another that we would become one. Why? So that the world would believe in Jesus. This morning we continue our vision series, Reenter, talking about what it means to be the church. And what it means to be so connected to one another that we might become one. The first way I want to talk about this is this. I want you to know that we are connected to one another in community. I want you to look with me at John 17. This is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He prayed this just before he went to the cross. There's three sections of this high priestly prayer. He prays that he would be glorified. He prays for the mission of the church, and then finally he prays that we, as his church, would be one. I want you to look with me, verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Now, who is Jesus praying for? I want you to notice something. This is pretty incredible. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. Now, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. So the these he is talking about is his disciples. He's saying, I'm not praying, Father, just for my disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about his church throughout all time, generation to generation to generation. We are reading Jesus' prayer for you and for me. What does he pray for? He says, I do not ask for these only, but I pray also for those who believe in me through their word, verse 21, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. This is a staggering prayer if you think about it. Jesus' prayer for you and me is that we would be one in the same way that he is one with the Father. 
I want you to think about that for just a second. How close do you think Jesus is with the Father? What do you think his relationship with God the Father is like? How connected do you think they are to one another? What kind of community do you think exists in the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons and yet one. Jesus is praying that as the church, we would have that kind of community. That we would be so connected to one another that we would be one. The problem is we live in a world and at a time that has never been more disconnected. I wonder, do you feel that way this morning? Do you feel like you live in a fractured and relationally disconnected world? We live in a time when we've been disconnected by a pandemic. A year, never before more isolated in our generations than we are right now. But that's not the only thing that disconnects us from one another. We live in a very fast-paced city. Our schedules make it so much disconnection that we, we come to believe that human relationship is found in activity rather than sitting around a table and sharing a meal. But we're also disconnected by the devices that we hold in our hands. Thinking that we talk to each other only in 160 characters, reducing all interaction without face-to-face, -face, lobbing grenades at each other, thinking that the world is to be interacted through a screen rather than in community. We're disconnected from one another by division. In this last year, we've experienced that division politics, race, culture, ideology, so many ways that we are different and these differences are dividing us. And yes, we're even divided by this rugged American commitment to be individuals, to do it on our own. We live in a disconnected world and what I want you to see this morning is Jesus is praying that the church would be radically different. That in a disconnected world, the church would be a place of deep connection. What does that look like? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that Christianity means community in and through Jesus. We find deep connection in one another as the church when we become the community of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I realize the word community is a word that's used all the time, and so it can lose its meaning. In fact, many of you this morning might say, well, I have all kinds of community. But you see, so often the community that you and I have is typically shallow. Right? It's, it's very thin and it's spread out. The kind of community that we see Jesus praying for is deep and interconnected. 
It's the kind of community where you can be honest with one another, where you can be vulnerable, where you can even share your sin and to confess it not only to God, but to one another. The kind of community that Jesus is calling us to as the church is the kind of place where it's okay not to be okay. The kind of community where not only you know other people, but where you are known. Let me ask you, are you known this morning? Do you feel like people really know you? That they know the real you? You see, that kind of community is countercultural. It takes calling, it takes commitment, and above all else, it takes love. And I mean that word in the truest sense of the word. It takes love. And the love that Christ calls us to as the church is radical and it's countercultural. Let me show you what I mean. Just before he prayed these words, Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. And as he served them, as he washed their feet, he said these words, John 13. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I has loved you. How did Jesus love us? He died for us. That's the kind of love he's calling us to, sacrificial love. He says, you are also to love one another, and by this, listen to this, by this, all people will know you are my disciples. How will people know that we are disciples of Jesus? By the way that we love one another. Where do we do that? Where do we do that as the church? When a big church like this, that sometimes can be admittedly hard. To really know other people and to be known by them, to have the opportunity to love so radically and so sacrificially that the world would know we're his disciples. Where do you do that in a church of this size? Well, on Sunday mornings, what that means is that we are connected to Christ and one another, yes, in corporate worship right here and right now. That we are connected to Jesus vertically as we sing songs and praise his name. But the reason why we sing songs out loud and hymns, and maybe you've wondered this before, but why we have a liturgy where we have a call and response, where a pastor reads some words and you read words back and bold. Do you know why we do that? So you can hear one another. So you can proclaim the truth that we know to one another. So we can be connected to Christ and one another, but that connection cannot end here. It must spill out over to real relationship. A great place you can do that is in Sunday morning communities. If you've never been in a Sunday morning community, just think of the word. They happen on Sundays. You know what that means? We have very little excuse not to at least give it a shot. Because they're right here in this building on Sundays. You can leave worship at 9.30 and go connect to other people at 11. We have lots of different kinds of communities, but every one of them is the same. They center on the word of God and into connecting to one another. But you see, the church doesn't just live its life on Sundays. It happens seven days a week. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And so not only do we have Sunday morning communities, but we have smaller groups that meet throughout the week. 
We have Bible studies that meet right here on campus throughout the week, but we also have home groups that meet in neighborhoods all over our city. And in these smaller groups of men and women of 10 to 20 people, you can truly be known and you can know other people. So here's my question for you. Whether this has been your church for 20 years or you just walked in the door and this is your first Sunday, are you truly connected to other people? Or do you find yourself increasingly disconnected in the divided world? The church is called to be a countercultural community, a place where we are connected so intimately that the world would know we are disciples of Jesus. So that's the second thing I want you to see very quickly. Not only are we connected to one another in community, but we're also connected to one another in our witness. Why does Jesus pray that we would be connected to one another? You might think that that would be just so we could kind of put up walls around us as a church, that we could have deep, intimate relationships with one another and cut the world out. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. In fact, he wants us to be so connected to one another so that it would benefit the world. Notice what he prays, verse 21. He says that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Why does Jesus pray that we, as his church, would be perfectly one? So that the world would believe in him. And you ask, well, how, how does that work? How is it that the world is going to believe in Jesus because the church is one? A couple summers ago, I went on sabbatical and I studied the difference in evangelism in a post-Christian culture like Great Britain and a culturally Christian city like Dallas. What does it look like to share the gospel with people who've had enough of Christianity in a place like England? And what's it look like to share the gospel with a bunch of people who think they've already heard it in a place like Dallas? And one of the things that one of the church planters from Manchester told me that I'll never forget, he said that in an increasingly post-Christian world, the church is the greatest apologetic. What did he mean by that? See, apologetics is a defense of God. It's a defense of the gospel. And what he began to tell me is that in a place like Great Britain, where people do not love well, sound familiar? Where people are disconnected and divided, sound familiar? Where people feel lonely and isolated, that in a place like that, the church becomes the greatest apologetic. That in the way that a community would love one another, would welcome the stranger, would support one another, and live out of deep and vibrant connection to one another, that that countercultural community would prove that the gospel is true. Because there's no other thing like it in the world. Now, for some of you, you hear that, and 
for you, the church has not been the greatest apologetic. Maybe you've grown up and you've seen the opposite in the church. Maybe you've seen a lot of pain and a lot of heartbreak. Francis Schaeffer once wrote that the bitter division among Christians gives the world the right to disbelieve the gospel. For some of you, that's been your experience. But let me ask you this. What if we began to see Jesus' prayer answered in the church? And not just that, but what if we began to see Jesus' prayer, the church would be one. What if we see that prayer begin to be answered in this church? That Park City's Presbyterian Church would be a place that is known by the way that we love one another so deeply and are so welcoming and accepting of the strangers among us that the world would know that Jesus must be the Son of God. How do we do that? How do we do that as a church? Every single Sunday in front of your bulletin, there's a statement, a statement that in many ways has become beautiful for us. It's been there all along, but it's become so important to us. This is what it says. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to all who will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Are any of you weary this morning? Are any of you hungry? Are any of you lonely? Do any of you feel like a stranger? Are any of you just like me and you're a sinner in need of a savior? I want you to know that you are welcome here. For us to truly be a countercultural community that's connected to one another, that connection must spill out into our neighborhoods. We're called to relationship with one another, not so we can wall ourselves off, but because we have, as Leslie Newbigin said, gratitude to spare. <laughs> that we would invite other people into this fellowship that we've come to know and love, and we could say, come and see what the Lord is doing here. That in everything we do, whether on a Sunday morning in worship or a Sunday morning community or a Bible study or a small group, that these words would be true, that this church would offer welcome in the name of Jesus. But you see, not only in these things are we the church. Just after the pandemic began and our world shut down, we began to pray about what that looks like for us as a church, like so many other churches all over the world. And we're going to be reminded that the church exists well beyond just a building or an organized gathering like a small group. But as the church, we're actually scattered as his people all over the city. You live in neighborhoods all over the Metroplex. And when you leave this building, you do not cease being the church. 
but you are the church scattered in your neighborhood. And so we began what we're calling the parish ministry. A parish is just a group of men and women of our church in a particular neighborhood. And at this point, we've launched some 17 of them. And it's a place where you are called to love the other PCPC people around you. So often people come to me because of where our building is located and they think, I've really loved PCPC, but there's no one from the church who lives around me. And I love getting out our database and showing all the people who live with just a one mile radius right around them. That's what we're trying to do with the parishes, but it doesn't stop with just us. You see, because when God's people love one another scattered across our city, you become a witness to our world. When your neighbors meet other friends of yours from our church who live just down the street, in the way that you care for one another as a neighborhood, because of Jesus, they see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So how do we do this? How do we become a church like that? A church that's so connected to one another that the world would know that Jesus was sent by God to be our savior. I want you to look at the third and final part of Jesus's prayer. It's where we're gonna end this morning. I want you to know that we are connected to one another because we are connected to Jesus. Look at verse 24, Jesus prays this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Jesus is praying that we could be with him where he is right now, seated at the right hand of God. And because we cannot be physically with him right now, at least not yet, he has made us with him spiritually. He continues to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them. And then hear these last three words and I in them. Did you hear it? Jesus prayed that not only would he be with us as his church, but he prayed that he would be in us. This is what it means to be a Christian, that Christ would dwell in us as his people. Over 160 times the apostle Paul uses the phrase in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so as we leave this place sent out into an increasingly disconnected world with division on every side and more hostility towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, may we never forget whose we are. We belong to Jesus, but we also belong to one another. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. He bore our sin in his body on the tree and he rose again so much so 
that we are so connected to him that his death is our death and his resurrection is our resurrection. And in his victory, we have victory. That's how connected we are to Jesus. It is out of that connection that he is calling us to be his ambassadors, to be a people so connected to one another that the world would know that he is the son of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would do this in us and through us and for us. As we hear Jesus' prayer, we're reminded just how far we are from oneness. And yet we're also comfort and we find hope that Jesus is the one who prayed this prayer. And we know because he is your son and because he made this promise that the gates of hell will not stand against the church and that you will indeed make us one. We pray, Lord, that you would do that in this time. And among not only your church scattered all over the world, but would you do that in us at Park City's Presbyterian Church? Would you make us one? That we might be so connected to one another that the world would see what it means to be connected to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior and our King. We love you. We ask this in your strong name. Amen.